Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast with you every Monday for the rest of this extended season. Uh, I'm Tony Kerr and with me today I've got Rob Batiste. How do? And Gareth Lepravo. Hi Tony. Coming up, we'll round up the first week of local football since lockdown. After the resumption, we've seen some Martins and Rovers reach the Jeremy Cup final. And is it advantage Saints? After a big weekend at the top of the Prio League, we'll hear from two of the coaches hoping to lead their sides to the title over the next few weeks. Plus hear more from Steve Sharman, who was our guest on the Thursday Sports Podcast. The former Guernsey manager and current GFC assistant tells us about his ambitions in frontline coaching, where he sees Guernsey FC heading and who his boyhood heroes were. First though, it's been a momentous day for young Guernsey star Alex Scott. The Bristol City professional made his debut for England under-18s this afternoon against Wales in Cardiff. Uh, he came on at half-time with the game at 0-0 uh, among a host of changes and played the full 45 minutes as England ran out 2-0 winners. Uh, I think he'll be really pleased with himself, really proud of how it went too. The game uh, was streamed live uh, online by the Wales FA, so we're able to watch it. And he looked right at home, I have to say, confident on the ball straight away. Had some really good moments too, including drawing a sharp save from the Wales goalkeeper uh, from a long-range free kick. I know you were following it as well, Rob. Uh, he did look pretty much at home there. He did. He did look very good on the um, left hand, left side of midfield, cutting in regularly from the from the flank. Yeah, he looked every bit a international player at that level. Yeah, fantastic. And obviously among his teammates, players from Manchester City, Manchester United, uh, you know, a host of uh, a host of the top sides. And uh, clearly he's trusted technically. He was on free kick duty, as I said, and uh, tested the keeper this after scoring a free kick in the FA Youth Cup, uh, was it Fleetwood the other night, also took one of the corners. So, I mean, yeah, clearly technically they like what he's got as well as, you know, everything else he offers. Yeah, his skills are a top notch. And um, now he's filled out, he, you know, he looks... The part of that level. Well, if you want to watch back uh, Alex Scott's uh, England under-18 debut, as I said, it was streamed by the uh, Wales FA. Um, so just head to at GSY Press Sport on Twitter for the link. Uh, yeah, he came on at halftime. Uh, some, definitely some bright moments uh, for him. And uh, yeah, we hope it'll be the first of many appearances in an, uh, an England jersey. And uh, back at Bristol City, when he gets there, we hope to see him in a, in a first-team shirt as well sooner rather than later. Of course, he was named in uh, the, one of the matchday squads, but hasn't yet got on the pitch. That's right. Um, the way Bristol City's first team are, are going at the moment, there's every chance he might get another shout in, in the first-team squad and perhaps even get an appearance there. Because um, after a promising start under Nigel Pearson, they've slid back a little bit. Uh, now the um, the immediate FA Youth Cup ties out the way against Fleetwood. Perhaps he might be back involved in first team training. Well, we have spoken quite a lot about Alex Scott already in the, the you know just the the few episodes of this podcast we've done. So we'll move on and we'll come back to him. I'm sure at some point very soon because yeah, his progress. Uh, is really continuing to impress. Right, next, we're going to look back uh, over the weekend's pre-league action, uh, back at the Jeremy Cup semi-finals last week and, and just reflect on where it leaves the title race. Well, it's been great to have local sport in general, back local football. Uh, we were all at the Jeremy Cup semi-finals last week as uh, those four teams kind of blew off the cobwebs of eight weeks of lockdown and it was straight into 
yeah, a very significant, potentially significant weekend as it looked in the Premier League with a couple of big games, notably Rovers against Sylvans down at Portsmouth. Me and Rob were at that one. Not a classic, finished nil-nil. We'll come on to that in a moment. The other game of interest, of course, at the top of the table uh, was St. Martin's trip to North. That one finished 2-0 to Saints. Uh, they've obviously got the heaviest workload of the three sides if they're going to win the title. Gareth, you were there. Just sum up the game. It sounded like Saints were well-deserving of those three points. Uh, they certainly were, Tony. Yeah. Following on from a, quite a, a lacklustre performance on Tuesday in the, in the Jeremy Saints were a heck of a lot better on Saturday. And to be honest, after about quarter now, they, they could have been two or three up by half time. They should have been probably four up. I did wonder at the time they were playing with the wind. Was it going to sort of change in the second half? But to be honest, they, they were very deserving. Winners 2-0 didn't flatter them at all. And um, they looked very much back at it considering how average they looked on Tuesday to be honest. And we spoke on the, the podcast looking ahead to the resumption of the season about the three sides at the top St Martins, Ravens and Sylvans. St Martins in particular we wondered whether they would have enough goals they got two but missed a host of opportunities. Is that something that's still a, a sort of nagging concern do you think for them? You look at their side on paper they haven't got what you'd describe as an out and out goal scorer. Um, Dom Yeoman obviously does a great job lead, leading the line um, he had a terrific battle on Saturday with um, River Marsh playing at centre-back for North. Um, Danny Hale looked very good, I thought, on Saturday. He was um, full of life. And I, I do wonder if they will win games more than sort of by the odd goal, though. I think Danny Hale's presence will be quite key in the in the running. Um, he hasn't played too much this season and um, he has been missed. He's capable of special things, Danny. Um, he's also capable of disappearing for large large periods of games, but I think the presence of he, him and the, and the Saints attack is will be crucial if they win this league. Um, if he doesn't play an awful lot, I can see them falling short. He's got the goal threat, great striker of the ball. Well, as I say, it finished 2-0 uh, to Saints. This is what Leon Meekin uh, had to say at full time. Really pleasing. I think um, that was a big improvement on Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> that didn't take much. <laughs> no, it didn't. I think we got going in the last half hour Tuesday, but yeah, we, we were at it from the start today. And my biggest frustration is we didn't score more goals. We should have killed them off in the first half, really. Um, I think if we'd gone in 3 or 4-0, that wouldn't have flattered us. Mm. Um, second half was a bit flatter, but I think both teams are tired after you know, playing midweek for the first time in such a long time, yeah. to be expected. Yeah. Well, by the time you sort of two up, you actually managed the game pretty well. I mean, Jack didn't, he made a couple of saves, but they were basically 90th minute by that point. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, that was pleasing today, the way they, they managed the game, you're right. Um, Jack didn't have a lot to do, he made one save, I think, in the first half and a, a couple right at the end there, but, you know, he's a good goalkeeper, so um, I think the defence were confident around him. If he had to make a save, he'd be fine. And I'm sure Leon would have been pretty pleased to hear that it had finished goalless between Rovers and Sylvans, the other two in the title hunt um, down at Port Swath. Uh, Rob, we were there. As we said before, not a classic. The first half in particular was pretty lifeless. But in the end, it did pick up and Rovers were probably pretty disappointed not to take all three points. It needed that stiff breeze behind us and it was, had a bit of chill in it as well to keep us awake, to be honest, in the first half. It was pretty drab stuff. Um, I think both... Um, St. Sylvan's came, came, I think, not to lose. They were very, very organised, quite happy to drop very deep um, at the first sight of a blue and white shirt. Jacob Fallais was in great form organising the defence. And um, I thought Rovers were a little bit too safe for their own good in the first half, um, as was their selection, perhaps. I mean, they played Jack Baptiste, James Grundy and Frank Tobin in central midfield. And... 
whilst they had control, I thought a lot of their build-up was far too slow and they were playing the bow ball back. It was very reminiscent of uh, Tommy Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea recent, recently where they liked to have ball control. But it gave Rovers, uh, sorry, Sylvans that opportunity to get back in numbers. Also, I thought Sil- um, Rovers in the first half were woeful at utilising the um, the flanks, the left flank in particular. The um, there's pretty strong wind blowing from the get direction, shall we say? And um, but long periods of the game, there was acres of space down the left flank, um, which wasn't very wasn't utilised. Um, and Rovers are pretty strong in that area with Louis Graham capable of actually bombing down that touchline and getting crosses in. Sylvans actually, as soon as they they were playing with the wind. They, they utilised Ben Longley far more and they put um, Rovers under, Rover goal on, under threat a little bit on a couple of occasions and dangerous crosses. But I think in the, ultimately the, the result was probably um, a little bit harsh on Rovers. It was, they did create an awful lot in the second half and on another day they were won three or four by three or four clear goals. But you've got to hand it to Sylvans. They were just very well organised. Well, let's have a listen to what Kevin Gillies, the Rovers coach, had to say at full-time down at Portswolf. Disappointing result. Um, positive performance, though. I thought, um, I thought we were the better team by, by a long way in both halves. I thought we completely dominated the game. Um, passages of play were good. You know, defence looked solid. Didn't really give them anything. Midfield played well. Um, everything up till that final third. That's right, you did have plenty of chances in the second half when Sam came on and created quite a yeah. lot, didn't he? Yeah, he, um, he made a difference to the game actually, Sam. You know, like we thought he would, it was a game plan to keep him on the bench and then bring him on whenever they started tiring a bit. Uh, I thought he made a difference, but we just couldn't get that goal. I thought it was a bit um, strange selection, as I say, from Kevin. I think he's done a fantastic job in his first season as coach um, and the spirit looks really, really strong. But I, 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 perhaps there was something a bit more to it than meets the eye. But for Sam not to start, which was seemed very, very strange, because at this pre-O league level, he is very, he's dynamite. And um, on a, particularly on a day like today, when the, it was on Saturday, when it was quite windy, his his ability to run at defences with the ball at his feet is quite crucial. You know, skill skill will normally out, and now I think he, he he proved that when he came out came on and um, cause a, a lot of trouble for Sylvans. There was one other game uh, across the weekend on Saturday. Manza, uh, uh, comfortable winners against Rangers, 6-1, that one finished. So looking at how uh, the weekend fixtures leave things uh, in the Premier League, particularly at the top, Rovers, six points clear of Sylvans, having played one game more. And both of those sides, of course, will be looking over their shoulder at St Martins, uh, who've played four less than Rovers and three less than Sylvans uh, and are a point behind Sylvans at the moment. So it's Rovers 36, Sylvans 30, St Martins 29. Yeah, having seen all well, all three sides uh, in action um, between us, uh, both in the Jeremy Cup semis last week, okay, uh, the first game's back after eight weeks. It was... You know, it wasn't high quality. They were entertaining games in their own right, but um, but they were clearly a bit rusty. Maybe finding a bit of rhythm uh, into the weekend. Where do we think? Uh, where do we think we are? Uh, yeah, having now seen all the uh, the sides at the top, it's going to finish level. It's going to be a tie between Rovers and Saints, and it'll go down to goal difference. And unless Saints pull their finger out on that score, um, Rovers will be winning the title for the third time in what is it, five years? Um, looking at the remaining matches I can't see Sylvans Rovers and Saints to be honest all three sides losing very much 
Um, I think we might have a lot of draws um, in the remaining fixtures for the rest of the ne over the next eight weeks. Um, crunch games obviously will be Sylvan's um, at St Martin's on the eighth of May, um, and um, this weekend, of course, when um, Saints go to Rovers. That's a, obviously a, a, month, a huge game. Um, but I th I'd be very surprised if Sam Hall was not starting that one. And I, sus I think Saints will have to d be at their best defensively to withstand um, Rovers' attack. You agree with that assessment, Gareth? I'm not going to go as far to make a prediction that it's <laughs> going to finish level on points. So, um, I would say, looking at it, I do think Rovers and Saints will be the top two by the end of the season. Um, I've s now I've seen Saints twice in the last week. Um, they've obviously got a strong squad. I think they're going to need that quite desperately because because of their fixture list. They got. I mean, when you just look down and they've got four more than anyone else, um, that's going to take its toll over the time. But they are strong in depth, so um, I think they'll be able to pick up probably enough points to certainly contest the title. Would I put them ahead of Rovers at the moment? Um, if Rovers keep their main men fit, I'd perhaps edge it that way. Just more, as Rob says, more perhaps for the firepower they've got. Um, they've got they've got a good spine to their team. Tom Strawbridge at the back obviously is a, is a big influence on them. Um, and people like Finn Whitmore up top and, and Carlos Cano, who is obviously a, a class act, um, perhaps just edges it their way. But... Um, Saints are certainly going to push them all the way and the way they played on Saturday suggests to me that they've got a lot of confidence going forward now um, they certainly weren't great on Tuesday um, but they've they've got experience in that side I mean on Saturday I thought Ben Coulter was excellent again for he was he was given an hour I'm not surprised that um, he, he wasn't going to play the whole match because he was excellent for 120 minutes against um, Sylvan's in the Jeremy but guys like that and Dom Yeom, um Chris Lanuri at the back they're just so solid and you, you know what you're going to get from them week in week out so it will be tight perhaps just Faber Rovers but I think it's going to be pretty close yeah. I'd like to see Joe Blackham um, giving getting a few more opportunities he really was pretty um, pretty um, hot when he came on in midweek against um, Sylvan's in the Jeremy up until up until an hour, Saints had created absolutely nothing. But when he came along, came on alongside um, Danny Hale, they really started to cause Silver's problems. Joe's very quick, very direct, got an eye for goal. And as I say, I think that's what Saints need to turn some of those draws into victories over the coming weeks. But they they, they could easily win the league. I'm, you know, I'm sort of saying, tongue is slightly tongue in cheek. The Rovers will win it. Um, on goal difference, but I, I, it could easily go Saints' way. Um, Silvers, I think, will f ultimately fall slightly short, but what they've done this year is fantastic. As I said to Adrian Brown, their club president on Saturday, who was who was quite relieved at the end that his team had survived a defeat, and I said, well, Adrian, look at it this way. If you'd have said your team was 15 matches unbeaten in the league um, and lying second in the table back in August, you'd have taken you'd have taken that, and he said most definitely. So, um, Sylvans are a potentially perhaps next year's team to watch. 
Yeah, the game's coming thick and fast. Uh, Wednesday nights, Martins go to Vale Rec. And then we've got four games on the Easter weekend, all of them on Saturday. Sylvans, as I say, go up to Alderney. Uh, Bells take on Manza. Rangers host North. And it is Rovers St Martins. I think there'll be another good crowd down at Portswaff. Let's just hope the weather's good. Thanks for listening to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review if you can. It really helps us uh, to spread the word. Uh, Now, if you've been listening to the podcast so far, you'll know we had Steve Sharman uh, on for a chat uh, about all things Guernsey sport, particularly with an eye on the future, talking about his role with the Guernsey Sports Commissioner's Relationship uh, Director. A fascinating chat with him and well worth uh, going back and listening to that if you haven't already. Uh, we also spoke to him about football, though, as well. He is, of course, the former Guernsey men's island manager. Uh, he's heavily involved in Guernsey FC, uh, heavily involved in, in lots of uh, levels of Guernsey football coaching. We wanted to speak to him a bit about that. And I began by asking uh, whether he's still got any intentions to get back into that frontline main man side of management. I feel you know, incredibly fortunate that... Um being able to work alongside Tony and Fal and the GFC project, which I which I love, and I love working with those players, and I, I've I've really sort of taken time over the years to think actually what am I uh, in terms you know I don't think I'm a manager I'm not a Tony Vance I'm not a manager in terms of that the bit that I most enjoy is is, is um, having had a teaching background and you know lecturing background, but I, I and 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 coaching is I like improving players so I it doesn't matter what level that is so working with um, the GFC players has been enormously rewarding working with um, youth groups through the GFA Academy again is rewarding so that's going to continue and until somebody tells me you can't do it anymore um, and um, and giving something to back to Val Rec you know supporting Craig and Brian um, you know I've really 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 enjoyed that um, probably the bit that that um, is is least interesting to me which might sound remarkable is, is actually match day you know um, I, I I suppose it's because um, in, in the, the nature for me is um, I, I find the rubbish you know the, the, the chat that goes on with with other managers the win at all cost mentality and all that sort of stuff look I, I'm as combative as the next person and, and being the size I am when I was a footballer I, I always had to be look my first game at university we played Oxford University when I was at Warwick as a student and I'd just come back from Australia playing football out there and I got sent off in my first game because I had you know small man syndrome I used to pick on the biggest person in on the pitch go and kick him and and that way it, it made my it sort of you know gave me some sort of feeling but I was sort of an angry angry footballer you know I could play a little bit but but I but um you know I was combative and um the bit that I like is 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 um unlocking potential in in players and whatever that is and, and making them better so yeah I I don't think I will ever stop coaching I mean this week um you know I'm working with players coming back from rehab Glenn Letizia, Seb Skillen down at Corbett Field at 8 45 in the morning doing an hour session with them because I love doing that and you know um Operating under radar is fine for me in terms of football. I've had the point, you know, where I've been Marathi, and I think that, that that's important because I think if, if if I've gone away and had the experiences that I've had and have the coaching qualifications I have, it's important that um, I stand up and be counted and not just, you know, stand talk from the sidelines. You know, go and do it. Um, get the positives, which I've had loads of positives. I've had loads of negatives as well. You know, absolutely and quite rightly because ultimately. Um, I'll make mistakes 
uh, and make lots of those mistakes and they're sort of magnified in in a Marathi perspective but that goes with the territory don't do it if you you know if you don't don't accept that and don't accept don't don't ever not accept the mistakes that you've made put your hand up you know um but yeah I'll be back on that front line and clearly you know the pandemic is as uh yeah, made made for a, a big interruption in the, in the Guernsey FC project. Um, you know, withdrawing for for a full season. Do you think when that does come back, um, there will be a sort of renewed vigor, a renewed enthusiasm to to crack on? Well, that's the exciting. That's the exciting thing about it, really, um, because. When we when the GFC project started and you know Tony and Fowl got that off the ground and we look at the group of players that were there, you can map out as a coach as an organisation where the transition periods are going to happen. And there was very clearly there was that period of time where we had that transition of that that stellar golden group that that, that came through the leagues, um, the combined counties, you know national systems you know, really at the point when we had started being very relevant at Island Games, that, that, that you know, that stuff at Combined Counties, the, the national systems was built on some irrelevance of being, being you know, um, being successful at Island Games uh, over a period of time and using that as a catalyst for professionalising, if that's the right word, but, but, but ensuring that people took representative football very seriously. Um, so the transition periods can happen naturally or they can happen unnaturally. And I think we, we are at that point where we don't know because if, if I'm a player and I've been playing for GFC and I've really enjoyed it and then I've had this hiatus and then I've enjoyed playing, playing pre football and my life has changed because I have got a new job or I've become... Uh, I've got a new partner. I've, I've, you know, I, I have a family now. Or, you know, my job, has, my job has meant that I've got more... more um, I, I suppose, responsibility. Are those players going to want to come back and into that environment? At the same time, we've, we, you know, those players that were 16 years old, that mm, well, I'm thinking, well, yeah, I'd like to play at GFC at one time. Well, maybe some doors have opened, you know, and, 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 we, and Foul running the, the under-18s alongside GFC in training sessions has really given us that opportunity to, to match up. And um, so it, this is an unnatural transition, we don't know. You don't know what you don't know until you find out. And, you know, um, that we, 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 when we start GFC training and when we start to map out timelines and see who's available, then that's going to be, you know, give us an idea. It's not as though we're in a position to go and buy 10 players from around the world to bring them in. We don't know what, what it's going to look like until those first sessions. And also, as we've always said, the thing about GFC is... We, there, there are players that have always had the talent. It's a similar thing to the, you know, <clears throat> Rob, you're, you're doing the 100 players, the best players, you know, that, have, that, that represented the island have been on Guernsey. But we have had always had players that could get off the island and be professional footballers. There's always been the talent there. The mental element side of it has always been the difference. It's no different with GFC. The, you know, coming in and having to have 20 games on the bench, coming in and doing all the training sessions, having five opportunities to pull that... GFC shirt on. Now, for some people, they can't deal with it. And I accept that because they want to play football. They go back into their comfort zone. We'll see what happens in the, you know, the next period of time. Going back to the, you mentioned the top 100 there, Steve. I mean, you were a prio, young Prio League player, I think, in probably the 80s. Yes, I, I, um, it would have been 85. Um, I, I think at 16, um, I, I had opportunities in a, to be on the bench and to get very um, limited experience in a very good Valrec team at the, t at the time. So, yeah, yeah. Have you got your own football heroes? 
Yeah, I, I think, I, and I want to keep them local, really. Um, when I when I grew up, my father um, drove me down um, the Fort Road and turned right rather than turning left because he got to Valorek first. And then he became a committee member down at Valorek, so from six years of age. Um, and, and so... You know, my Saturdays were were were, were minis, and then and then watching you know the, the the team play in the afternoon, and I incredibly looked up. I looked up to Peter Bundle. You know, I I looked up to him him as a player because it, you know as a stylish defender, you know, very combative. But um, Colin Hargreaves, Gilly probably is somebody very early on that I can remember because I I, I could link him because he, he you know he he was again a small guy, but you know he. He, he was a defender and he played at centre half and um, in those games when you, 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 you're doing a, a series about great, great matches that happened on the island. I remember the old Rothmans Cup and I was probably eight, nine, ten years old acting as a ball boy and I'm watching Consett come over or Clandown or whatever playing down there or, or the professional teams and seeing people like Gilly or, or, or Johnny Reed, you know, those players were people I could I could sort of um, reflect on because those were the positions that 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 that, that, I, that I that I I played in um, and then when I was sort of growing up as a youngster you know I you know I was contemporary and I played alongside Matt with cricket and softball and and football Matt Letizia but I was also training with his older brothers now you know I tell you you you, you only have to train for a number of seasons with either with either Carl Letizia or Kevin Letizia you know to to really appreciate um, how good they were. I mean, how how talented they were. Now, in a Guernsey context, absolutely, absolutely fine. You know, we're in, we're in a small small environment, but but those individuals, um, you know, were were just were just fantastic. But um, yeah, yeah, Gilly, Peter Blundell. Um, I used to used to really enjoy watching Titch Booger again, another player who who packed a real punch. You know, small individual. Um, I used to, and 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 coaching wise, um, it's important to me. You know, Ray Blundell probably was um, was the biggest influence that I ever had on on um, me becoming a coach. And I've been a coach now for you know thirty five years. You know, but Ray Blundell, when he coached and his 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 approach and his, his I mean, the greatest man manager. I mean, just the greatest person manager that could ever be. And I remember, look, I was um, I was living li- with my mother, and uh, I was at Elizabeth College, and I was twelve or thirteen years old, and Ray was my manager, and um, my mother had no issue on a school night that I would go training at Valrec. Afterwards, um, there would be the card school in the clubhouse, the nine card brag. I'd be given, you know, a Coke and a bag of Chris and play on the pool table. And I'd probably get a game at 11 o'clock on that night and then go to school the next morning. Now, by the way, I had the greatest education ever. Vale School, Elizabeth College, you know, um, going through that. Field card school. So, (laughs) but but the greatest education I had as as one of the only Elizabeth College people alongside Neil Lenné being at Valrec. That was my other education. Because if you're looking in terms of manners, if you're looking in terms of um, how you've got to, be, got to be sharp, how you're understanding all the different sort of groups of people that live on the island, you know, I mean, that is a bear pit. An absolute bear pit from when you were about 13 years old. You know, good luck. And I can remember a lot of those characters. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm eternally grateful. If my memory serves me correctly, see, the first time I ever met you was at Blanche Pierre Lane and you'd brought over a, like a combined universities oh, football yeah. site. Yeah. I just want to ask a question. I mean, obviously GFC's there for those who want to follow it and then you've got the Prio League at the other. Do you think it'd be nice to see sort of like more sides of that sort of ilk coming over to give not GFC players but 
um, perhaps you know like a Prio League eleven, perhaps an under twenty three side, to give those sort of guys a different challenge because I think just in sport generally over here, there is always that bit of playing the same faces every week and sort of certainly through the experiences of watching my brother play cricket when Guernsey entered the international scene, Stuart must have been about thirty. But his game came on so much once they started playing these different players. He was better batsman when he retired than he was at any time of his career. And I think playing different people certainly helped that. I mean, would you like to see sort of like football sides come over here? Like I, I, I would. I, and um, I, I would like to see that extended. I mean, this is this conversation about sports tourism and, and how you present that argument. Um, it's been presented in a number of ways. Um, I think in some number of ways that it's been presented is is almost like a sense of entitlement that um, that, that it should be supported through central government. I think that happens quite a lot on the island. But I think that, that you're absolutely right. We, we, we have an opportunity to sell ourselves um, to uh, groups to, to come over to participate in festivals. In, in games, it, it, it's not beyond the wit of man to do that. Um, there are those touring teams that are out there. They have to be, as you say, at the right level. Um, but there is a tremendous opportunity. Um, I, I, and, and with everything, I mean, the reason those things happened was because I was a Guernseyman and I was at, you know, involved in those university teams. Uh, but it, but, it, but it, it worked both ways. Um, so I, I think that it will happen again. I think that... Um, People will always put funding up as a as a as a barrier, but I think we have a lot of altruistic individuals over here, and there are many ways to to skin that cat. So I totally agree with you. I think it's something that we need to do, uh, and certainly for uh, across our our major sports, um, yeah, we, we 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 need to be better at that uh, because it gives so many benefits. And when you look at our demographic and you look at the opportunities um, for people to to have that challenge, that's what young people or, or, or whoever participants you know not not just young people that's that's the wrong anybody participating in our sports want they want the opportunity to challenge themselves um so yes I, I, through the sports commission and through our eight pillars of our action plan um we're redefining and looking at our, our whole grant system of how we support clubs and organizations to get other groups over definitely Former Guernsey manager Steve Sharman there speaking to us uh, the other day. Uh, clearly someone who's already made a massive contribution to island football guys um, and, and, and continues to do so in his, in his present roles. Do you think he's someone we could see back on the front line as we discussed there at some point? Um, I don't see him um, going back to the, the, the um, Marathi senior coach job. Not that he can't do it. He was excellent during his spell wonder whether he might end up being perhaps Valrex first team coach at some stage um, you know he's Valrex in his heart it always has been you heard there about his early um, early days learning football playing alongside Peter Blondel etc and also learning how to play cards with a lot of the um, the Valrex greats of that area era I should say who in the days of the um, post training were quick to pop to the pony in and, and then and of course, then also the, the, the original Valrec clubhouse with the old shack next to next to the pavilion, that was um, that brings back memories. Um, yeah, Steve wasn't a bad player himself, um, and um, we would have had a, a fight to get into those Valrec 
teams on a regular basis, that's for sure. They were that strong. And just to hear his thoughts there about the way um, Ireland football is heading and, and potentially the, the transition we might see in Guernsey FC uh, as we move kind of out of the, the pandemic and, and back towards a relative normality for the Ireland sides as well. It could be quite an interesting time. Yeah, um, I'd expect um, perhaps three or four of the old GFC guard to perhaps um, um, decide enough is enough. You know, we've been at this for many, many years. I've got commitments, whether they are family, job, etc. And it may well be the time for some of the um, these exciting young players who are on the fringes of um, the club at the moment or making um, swift emergence into the Prio League, um, give them an opportunity. Um, yeah, it may not, it, that might mean perhaps um, GFC going a little bit backwards in terms of results, but um, I think at some stage that, you know, it does need some new blood in there. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see, plenty to look forward to there. And something else to look forward to over the next uh, couple of weeks uh, is the culmination of uh, the top 100 footballer list, which we've been working through uh, over the last couple of months, getting really close to the business end of things now. I think we, uh, where are we at? 28 today, Jamie Dodd, um, Guernsey FC's most capped player. Um, Chris Cardiff coming up very soon as well. Yeah, so well, we won't give too much away. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's clearly been uh, a big project to, to kind of sift the entire kind of, uh, you know, century of Guernsey football or, or more um, into a list of um, 100 players. Uh, how excited are you, Rob, to, to get to the stage where we're, we're close to revealing the, uh, the top 25? When you do study the, the list of the, um, the, top, the top 25 players um, and you realise the class footballers we've had over the over the hundred years you know we've had um i've had many people come up to me in the last few weeks saying so and so should be further uh, much up the much up the the list um but they have probably forgotten or haven't studied the um the list anywhere near closely enough because i say that the the quality of footballer in the top 25 is is immense and it really is there's some really terrific players there, and I wish I, I think I've seen most of them. But um, there were some of their some players in there who are quite clearly fantastic players who are long gone, but they deserve their memory being preserved by um, something like this. Yeah, absolutely. And we've been hearing uh, a lot of chatter around the grounds. People are very interested um, in where they're going to very place, opinionated in where their relatives are placed, in where within families, you know, who's who's going to be coming. We've out. had to remind oh, them what about the algorithm, you know, the famous algorithm which is deciding all this. Gareth, are you expecting some fierce debate about uh, the final placings, particularly in the uh, you know the, the, the top end of things? Um, I'm sure there will be plenty of debate as to whether people are in the right slot. But um, having seen the top 25, um, I can pretty much say all of them are legendary figures in Guernsey football. And it's it, like Rob says, it's amazing the sort of the talent we've seen over 125 years it is of Guernsey football. Um, I mean, already some of the ones we've revealed in the last couple of weeks have just been... Just some of my sort of childhood heroes have been out there. Certainly, the other day when um, Chris Hamon came in the list, um, the reception that got on social media as well. Just some of the the comments we had about Chris and just what just generally what a top bloke he is as well. I mean, he was a brilliant goalkeeper. Um, when I first started at the press, he was well rec coach, an absolute pleasure to deal with, and just a really nice bloke. And I mean, when he was put up on Twitter, the, the likes went through the roof. Just that's how the regard he's held in. I mean. 
Chris, and whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But Chris was actually is very highly regarded in Jersey as well. It sort of shows the level we're at now, and we've got so many big names still to come. It, it's it's great to relive some of those days. Regarding Chris, if we were deciding and um, putting forward some list of top Guernsey coaches, I'd put him very highly purely from the fact that you give Chris gave Chris a call three or four days before a big match, and he'd tell you his team then. There was no <laughs> mucking around. There was no trying to play mind games or disguise anything from the, the, the opposition. He said, no, that's my team. I'm quite happy for it to go out. And I thought, fair play. It was good. He was good to work with. As you said, Rob, uh, the fact that you've got, well, we've got some, um, you know, some very old names uh, making it towards the top of the list, mixed in with, with players that, 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 you know, people who follow local football uh, closely at the moment will be very familiar with, um, you know, players from the last few decades, the 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, it, 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 what is really nice about it, as you say, it, it is, it's kind of preserving the memory of uh, some of the all-time greats from, from before, you know, most people would remember. Undoubtedly, I mean, um, I firmly believe, firmly believe that a um, good footballer in any era would be a football, good footballer 50 years ahead or 50 years behind. And I think you'll see when you, when you do, when the top 25 is revealed, you'll see there were some very, very special footballers who, um, who achieved, lot, so achieved a lot. Some of them would have achieved more if they'd have had an opportunity. Um, one or two were taken from us very early. Um, others were enjoyed very, very long careers, and there'll be one or two surprises there. Um, I think you'll. I think the football, most of the football fraternity have probably got an idea about some of the people they they think will be around the top. But I think they will also be surprised by one or two who make the top ten, for example. Yeah, well, look out for that over the next uh, month um, or so. Yeah, it's going to, I'm sure, spark a lot of interest, a lot of discussion, and it'll be fascinating to see uh, the names um, revealed one by one in the paper over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, we'll probably leave it there for now. Um, another busy week ahead, a busy Easter weekend to come. Uh, as we said, a um, couple of big games in the Premier League, so we'll, we'll definitely be down uh, at the Rovers Saints game with the cameras well to, to capture that one uh, but but plenty of other sport going on as well so if you want to keep uh, in touch with what's going on uh, more generally with sport in Guernsey don't forget to check out um, the, the show which will be out on Thursday uh, the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast they both drop into the same feed so just click subscribe or follow uh, yeah wherever you get your podcasts and as I say tell a friend uh, rate review uh, do what you can to spread the word if you're enjoying what we're doing so far uh, and I think we'll leave it there thanks very much guys uh, enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy the sunshine, and we'll see you on Thursday. Bye.